It certainly is coming probably perhaps professionally to people. You know, it's coming um, when you're going to have to have the conviction to say, um, whatever you're offering me, promotion, health, wealth, and, and power, whatever the case it is, is not worth betraying my Lord. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Yeah, doing well, Nick. Thanks. Well, J.D., today the call is coming from inside the house. I'm uh, down the hall, I think, and upstairs from you in your own home here in Charleston, South Carolina, having celebrated the baptism of your two youngest kids this past weekend. It was so wonderful to worship at Christ Church. What a wonderful parish you serve. Yeah, it was great. It was a wonderful, uh, glorious day. I mean, it was slightly bittersweet, as we'll talk about, but it was certainly more more sweet than, than bitter. It was, um, you know, well attended. We had uh, family and friends come, godparents come from um, all over the country, really. And you preached a wonderful sermon, and it was, uh, it was, it was a glorious day. So welcome, little Garland and Davis, into the, um, into the family. It was, Amen. So, yeah. And you can't, you can't forget to mention the brass quintet. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, it's funny. I, we did have a brass quintet, and I, I will commend any aspiring musicians out there to um, keep practicing because it was glorious. So I don't know. It was like a euphonium and a trumpet and a uh, French horn, I think, and a trombone. I forget what it was, but I, as I have said often now, I felt like I was walking into like a medieval jousting tournament or something. Like medieval times. It was, um, you know, I felt like we all should have been introduced. You know, like presenting <laughs> his, you know, lord, his and most lord and ladies. Lord and That's right. The most very most right reverend from the Isle of wherever. And um, <laughs> anyway, well, uh, speaking of, have you seen Knight's Tale recently? Not recently, no. It, it holds up. It holds up. Like, once you realize what it's about, like, it's supposed to be, like, a kind of a joke parody movie. Like, it's not, it's not a, then it really holds up. And it's Paul Bettany at his finest playing Chaucer. At any rate. Um, yeah, so it was a great day. And it was, um, it was a joy. It was, a, it was exactly the day we needed in light of uh, all of the events uh, going surrounding our diocese. But there we go. Yeah. Well, speaking of those events, uh, last week after we recorded the podcast, the South Carolina Supreme Court ruled in the litigation between the Anglican Diocese of South Carolina and the Episcopal Diocese of South Carolina and ruled that some uh, 14 church buildings currently occupied by ACNA congregations, including your own Christ Church, are the legal property of the Episcopal Church. Now, Matt is familiar with this feeling, of course, having lost his property to the Episcopal Church years ago. Uh, but J.D., why don't you walk us through what you know about the ruling, what's going on in the diocese, then maybe Matt can tell a bit of his story, and then we can talk about what faithful parish ministry might look like in a situation like this, and why separation from an apostate church, even though it might entail the loss of a beautiful church property, is ultimately worthwhile. Yeah, well, I can um, I can summarize this very quickly because I should say is I mean it's 
to state the obvious, I'm not a trained lawyer, um, <laughs> but I also really don't know anything more than what has been summarized in the various um, newspaper writings and fairly well documented. I mean, a long story short is there's a lawsuit that was entered into about 10 years ago that has had various ups and downs. Um, either side at either point has, um, has thought that they had won. And most recently, there was a ruling in 2017 that came out that said that, in fact, all of the ACNA parishes that claimed to own their buildings had lost, which was right before I came into the diocese, actually. So actually, when I arrived here, we were, we were sort of having drills, even at Christchurch then, for um, the eventuality of having to uh, work remotely, which at the time, you know, was a seeming impossibility yeah, for no us. No one had we're ever done it before. Expert. We're like experts. Everyone's expert in it now. But um, then, surprise, to everyone's surprise, a district court judge actually reversed that ruling. And so there was this moment of, of um, elation that said, well, we might have a, uh, an option here. And then that was appealed. His, his ruling was then further appealed back to the Supreme Court. And we just got that ruling back last Wednesday. And as the newspapers have clearly said, it was essentially a what's been termed a Solomonic splitting because it was almost 14 to 14. Uh, it was 15 to 14. The Anglican church uh, retained the rights to their property uh, free and clear. And there were 14 churches that um, it was ruled are now the property of the Episcopal church, which includes my own Christ church. And so again, there's, there's a appeals processes and there's some time on that. And there's some people that have different ideas about, what may or may not transpire. And, you know, as, as I'm not a lawyer, and, and frankly, I, my main concern at this point is preparing people for what seems to be the eventuality of us having to um, hand over our property, at least with Christchurch. Although, again, I obviously am um, uh, hopeful that if I, and I'm assuming whatever legal avenues are left are being looked at by, um, you know, both our lawyer and the rest of the legal team of the diocese. So it's to say it's bittersweet is, a, is an understatement, not just in my own life, um, but also in the life of the diocese, because of course, just as summer morning, the loss of their property, you know, we kept, you know, some of these crown jewels, you know, St. Philip's, the cathedral, St. Michael's, you know, downtown Charleston will still have a, um, you know, alpha banners, you know, on the sidewalk, you know, coming to, uh, you know, greet the thousands of tourists that come by on a daily basis. You know, we did, we did lose the rights to camp St. Christopher, which is a dear, which is a blow for, um, you know, for, for the diocese, because it has such a, uh, has been played such a formative role, literally, in the uh, life of the um, diocese, uh, both for its children, you know, summer camps, but also for various retreats and conferences and uh, clergy, you know, uh, quiet days. And it's, that's a big blow. That's a, that is a big blow. And yet, you know, we're still standing. I mean, we're still standing. Uh, many of our, you know, I've, I've likened the diocese of every diocese to an armada, you know, sort of like a naval armada. I think it's an apt metaphor or analogy, I should say. And, um, you know, it's like a Pearl Harbor situation. Like we lost a bunch of good ships and a lot of good, analogy, a lot of good people um, are going to go down with those. But, um, but there's still a lot sailing, there's still a lot going on. And, um, you know, I am, uh, I think, as I have told people before, I have confidence now, as I said, that my grandchildren, if they're still in the area or if they ever come visit Charleston, will will at the very least be met with a, an Anglican cathedral with a hopefully a, a faithful, you know, courageous Anglican bishop in its chair and get to, to tour the graveyard at St. Philip's and, and walk around St. Michael's and know that um, at the very least great granddad 
uh, didn't win that battle, but was part of the war that continues to be waged um, against which the gates of hell will not prevail. So that's how I feel about it. Just in case there's somebody who hasn't been tracking with this from the very start, these were all Episcopal churches in the Episcopal Diocese of South Carolina until, like you said, 10 years ago, they en masse realigned with Anglican structures outside of the U.S. Episcopal Church and were therefore sued for their properties. And that legal fight has been ongoing ever since. Who owns them, whether or not they were being held in trust by the Episcopal Church overall or by the individual congregations who had always worshipped there. And this legal ruling just now is that the Episcopal Church owns these 14 churches, not the now Anglican congregations that are worshiping there. That's right. Yeah, and so I think as far as, again, I should just state, you know, as far as the legal wranglings go, I'm sure they're continuous and, and all avenues will be exhausted. And we remain hopeful, um, obviously, if there's something that hasn't yet been said or discovered or whatever the case may be. But for my particular role in this, it is to uh, comfort those who are mourning in my own church to prepare um, in the the ine- or the the unenviable seeming eventuality that we might have to relocate. But even to that end, consider what we have uh, the time we've been given with great joy, and and also that we, as opposed to a church plant, you know, with respect to sort of seedlings here or there, like we're assuming and hopeful prayer that we're going to basically have more of a like a like a tree transplant or like a bush, a large bush, you know, a shrubbery, you know, some sort of large, you know, people that will have counted the cost, have, um, have looked at the possibility of this day approaching. And uh, now we will be given the opportunity to um, put that in play, practice, you know, not merely with our lips, but in our lives as we pray. And so um, here we go. That's yeah. where I, so, so Matt, this happened in South Carolina over the course of a decade. It happened to you a lot faster, did it not? It did. I mean, it was still. I mean, it still felt like a slow, a slow train wreck because it was. You know, it took two years for the lawsuit to work itself out. So it felt like a long time. But yeah, you guys in South Carolina have been through much more of a ringer. The ups and downs. The you know, the, the, like a roller coaster emotionally and spiritually and every other way. Yeah, so. and I think, and I can just interject right there, like to the extent that our listener prays, like do pray, particularly for the long-suffering rectors and bishops, um, you know, Bishop Lawrence, who was here for so long and endured and, and carried this, and then now Bishop Chip, who just walked into this and essentially his first day on the job is now tasked with an incredible challenge. He has some opportunities ahead of him, obviously, with some of these open, free and clear churches, but obviously the challenge of of um, relocating parishes, perhaps, uh, I mean, relocating congregations, uh, dealing with anger and eventual, uh, you know, uh, remorse and all of the people involved. Because I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a carpetbagger. I mean, I put my life where my where this is. I mean, my, you know, I, I, my whole family is is subject to this ruling as well. And so I'm, I have some skin in the game. But but at the same time, I, I do feel that I was not only prepared, but also um, with respect to to the the real whiplash of the situation and the the just long enduring slog that many of these rectors, like my own rector Ted Duvall, has gone through. I, I just have been doubled in my prayer for them because you know some of them are rejoicing and, and some are mourning, but the ones that are mourning are now uh, facing a, a job and a uh, future here in the diocese, which it 
may look dramatically different than it otherwise would. And um, that's just where we are. I mean, as, as difficult as, as the situation was for our church, for our people, it was, I think you guys have probably had a much more difficult time because we, we went into this lawsuit just saying, okay, we're more than likely going to lose. So we need to right now prepare our minds and our hearts spiritually. Just just, just being sued. We, we were, the, the vestry and myself, we were very clear with the church. Okay, we may win. I mean, God God can do anything, but it's it's likely that we're not. So we need to spend the, however long this takes just, just saying goodbye uh, to our property. Now, if we had pulled off a win, but then it was appealed... <laughs> And then we lost and then we won. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, get, you give your people, yeah. you know, it's when we, we, you, you could have gone into, I don't, I don't know what the mentality was when South Carolina first entered into the, the legal battle, but my guess is a lot of the, a lot of the pastors there would have said things like, Hey, we got to We have to be prepared to lose our buildings. But then all of a sudden it looks like you won. That's right. I, I, I thought you guys won. Uh, yeah. Two or three times. Two or three, yeah. <laughs> that's that's right. It's great. We, you know, but, Man, that's just that's well, just and it's be, also to that point, yeah. it's also been you know difficult because, like, for instance, when I came, it it did seem imminent because we had just had this ruling from 2017 that we, you know, seemed although it was convoluted, you know, the final verdict was clear like, you guys lost, and so, um, and so it was like, okay, well, let's let's put things in place, and then all of a sudden it was stayed or kind of re- reversed and and you know, put back to the Supreme Court. And then, you know, it's just difficult for your non, for, for everyday people to maintain that, you know, threat level, the DEFCON yeah. 5. It's just at some point yeah. you're like, well, you know, it's sky still hasn't fallen. Um, and so I think that's, again, some prayers warranted because we don't know how long any of this will last. I mean, again, you know, we don't know if it's, uh, we, we just don't know any of the answers to these questions. Uh, maybe someone does, but I certainly don't. And so we are, you know, it's like um, like a Seder meal, you know, get, get dressed for get dressed for a journey, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe, uh, you know, six months from now, like we don't really know. But um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, to say it's an unsettling time is an understatement. Sorry, that was taking a page from your preventing grace. I have a. Someone with a blower evidently is blowing inside of my garage. <laughs> I, I had to mute myself. <laughs> So, so yeah, so the ma- I guess the main thing I want to talk about really, because a lot of this um, the legal wranglings and all this stuff is not only beyond me, but or beyond us, but is just unknown at this point is, is, is the conviction and courage in the event that whether it was now, maybe, hopefully not, but if or when you were given the option of, of needing to walk away from a property, like what's what's required for that conviction to to exist and then to be put into practice Matt? i mean and you you have gone led a congregation through this firsthand and so i think i could you know we may be learning from you even more than just how to be winsome and and um uh weak on the internet as you are <laughs> no i think i kind of already because he says strong <laughs> that's the joke yeah go back well, and listen to our first I'm episode definitely one of the i'll say strong things right. on the internet that's right <laughs> um well i mean it, it, it definitely goes back to what i said a minute ago is it is it like even even in the midst of the roller coaster now that now the roller coasters kind of come down to the bottom if if you did have guys uh, in leadership who were consistently saying look um, this is about the gospel. This is about our fidelity to Christ and and to the scriptures. And so we need to see ourselves in in a in a in uh, swept up being swept up into the centuries long warfare 
there between um, right. between the gates of hell and the, and the church. And um, and that means, you know, sometimes the church suffers in that battle. And 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 so just my first piece of advice is that right now prepare people. You know, you could we could we've lost if, if we've lost our building. Chances are we're going to lose lots of people or some people at least, maybe not, hopefully not lots, but we're going to, but people are going to choose to stay with the building or choose to stay with, um, with the, uh, with the Episcopal church. That's going to happen. And that's going to be heartbreaking because you're going to lose, no matter what people say, your relationships are going to be torn apart. Um, and, and that's going to be hard, but, but since this is about the gospel, then the Christian um, is always going to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to have to be able to say, uh, let go of uh, of goods and kindred and and be willing to have our property confiscated like you know what hebrews chapter 10 says um or 13 um so so that's the first thing second thing i mean just on a on a practical level uh we did everything we could to maintain normalcy so we had three or four bible studies running we had christian ed we had some you know the people who were most committed to the church had routines in the church they were used to. We had, we had a daily morning prayer at the time. So we said, we've got to keep those things going, even if we're doing them in living rooms, if we're doing them in rest, you know, clearing out rooms in a restaurant, reserving room in a restaurant for breakfast, for Bible study, uh, doing morning prayer um, in, a, in a, we, we moved locations for those things, but we had to keep them going. And the reason you have to keep them going is because you have those, the, the people who are core members of your church are used to those. And you want to keep those rhythms of life uh, continuing. That'll, that'll lessen the, the sense of, of uh, not pan, maybe panic is not the right word. It'll lessen the sense of disaster. Yeah, dislo yeah dislocation. Dislocation. Too. And it'll also keep them committed to, to going to wherever you're going to go next. Um, that's, that's huge. Uh, one good thing that happened to us as when the property was, taken is we suddenly you know, people kept giving and there were and the expenses were were hugely cut so so not only we had we saved up kind of some money during the lawsuit in uh um the pressures to set up a secondary account but um but in the time of transition from our old building to our new we were just money was coming in pretty pretty well so we were able to afford to continue paying staff and that, and that kind of thing um, while it was going on, I'm sure uh, you guys have had much more time to prepare for that in the last 10 years, I guess, to prepare financially for those kinds of transitions than we have. But that's super important, too. I mean, because if you're uh, maintaining the, the meeting together at the, at the same times and maintaining your staff and your your paid people committed to the to the project, that's those two things together will make it more likely and I would say probable that you'll you'll survive however long it takes to get to, to get to a new property, a new place. Well, you're certainly a, um, an encouragement to anyone in this situation. I mean, I know there are people all over the country uh, who, you know, either they're facing having been evicted or just even just church planting itself is a form of this type of eviction. If you, particularly if you were once worshiping in an Episcopal church, like, like everyone at Grace Ang or many at Grace Anglican, like where you are, Nick. But I think, you know, for me, it's funny, and I've said this in a variety of contexts. I have, um, 
you know, back when I was in the Episcopal Church, so which was, I know for a fact, was about seven years ago now, because I just celebrated my oldest daughter's seventh birthday, and it was at the time when she was born, and I became rector, that sort of the, the dual weights of responsibility kind of really landed on me. And I realized then, and in a way that I didn't know before, that um, I could never raise a child in this church with this type of um, confusion and this type of sort of creeping nihilism and cynicism that really was pervasive, um, particularly when you begin to say things essentially like, did God really say that our bodies are important, that sex is meaningful, that marriage is, is uh, actually, did, you know, did Paul even say, write Ephesians, much less is, is there a direct analogy between marriage and the bride of Christ, the Christ and his bride, and all of these things. And it was, um, you know, I've, I've described it now in a variety, again, to different conversations is, you know, it's almost like when Paul says, is when I was a child, I spoke like a child and acted like a child. And when I was an adult, I put away childish things. Like, that's what happened to me. And so when I, when I came here some three and a half years ago, you know, I didn't realize that they had just basically not only got this bad ruling, but also had been relatively recent to joining the ACNA. And I realized that my time, however it was going to be spent, however long it was here, was essentially going to be explaining both, both continuing to work out this transformation in my own life, but also hopefully equipping and encouraging those around me that when the time comes, if it's, you know, maybe it never will, practically speaking, uh, with the building, but it certainly is coming culturally. It certainly is coming perhaps professionally to people. You know, it's coming um, when you're going to have to have the conviction to say, um, whatever you're offering me, promotion, health, wealth, and, and power, whatever the case it is, is not worth betraying my Lord in this way. And um, that's, that's right. That's what we're looking at now. That's what we're, we're being forced with respect to a building, but it's really just um, a, a physical totem for, for what people are going to be asked to do in the next, you know, three, five, 10 years and all, all manner of things, you know, with respect to putting their children in, in front of various and sundry ideas, you know, allowing their um, going along with workplace um, celebrations or not. Like these are the type of things that people have to be prepared for. And so I've, I'm grateful to the Lord if, if this does turn out to be the, the final verdict, which, you know, I think there's something in the ruling. I did read the ruling where, I mean, I think it was literally the quote was, it is over, this is finished or something like this. Like it was like there, there was really not a lot of, of uh, light uh, they, they left. But again, maybe some lawyer can find it. But, but, you know, for my sake, I'm grateful for the time that we have had in this building in relative peacetime and feel that, you know, that we have, have done some good work, you know, getting people back in the confidence of the scriptures, you know, the reality of God and him speaking to the world, the fact that these are not secondary or ancillary issues to not simply sort of our cultural lives together, but fundamentally the gospel. I mean, these are things that, you know, I'm ashamed to say 15 years ago, I would not have been able to articulate as clearly and as, and as um, courageously, for lack of a better word, but I'm grateful that the Lord has... Um, has uh, changed me and has um, and inspired me and us to stand to, to stand firm. I mean, appropriately so. And so I think, you know, where we stand is not as important as what we stand for. So if I have to preach, like I grew up going to church in a Shoney's. I was laughing with my dad the other day. I was like, dad, who thought you were, you, you were actually training me up to be an Anglican priest when we uh, put up and took down chairs in the back, the Shoney's meeting room in, you know, Old Hammond Highway in Baton Rouge. So, it's going to be a wild ride, but 
but it already has been. And so I'm trusting just as the Lord has carried us thus far, he's not about to put us down now, no matter what the footprints poem says. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think the whole, I think the question of, of fidelity comes in really importantly here because, you know, it's so easy. If you, you know, the, the, our old church, people were there who had grown there. There were plaques on a wall with, you know, great-grandpa's name on it. I, I know we, you know, I guess in maybe more evangelical denominations or context, people kind of denigrate the brick and mortar. The, the, the church isn't about you know, four walls. It's people. Yeah, that's, that's all true. Fine. But the place is hugely important too, uh, especially for Anglicans and um, especially for these old historic churches where you have generations of Christians um, growing up and growing up in one place. So, so it does feel like for me, I mean, I know from the senior, the, the guy who was serving as my senior warden at the time, he was just standing by one of those plaques where his grandfather's name was written down. Maybe his great, great, great father was just weeping because he had the, that plaque belonged to the Episcopal church. He couldn't, we couldn't even take it off the wall. So we had to, we had to leave and he wasn't going to come back. He knew it. And it was in this, this place had become part of, part of his own family, his own life. Uh, it felt like, it felt like all he had associated Jesus, even though, even though he knew Jesus was not the building, he had associated his walk with Christ with that, with that, with that building. So it, it just was like, tear it, ripping out uh, some vital organ uh, of his faith, but he did it. Um, and, and he, he did it because some, somewhere along the way, uh, and I, I, I'd only been there for seven years, so I don't want to credit that with me, but, but somewhere along the way, uh, he had come to, to love and, uh, and trust in Jesus. Um, and for him, that was, greater and and, he, and also it's not just that because you know what's going to happen and i don't know if it's happened over there with you guys but what's going to happen is people who do love jesus but also love their buildings there's going to be this temptation the arguments are there that they can latch on to uh well yes i think homosexuality is against the bible but is it really a dividing issue should we really should we you know should, is it really all that necessary to actually leave the Episcopal Church, look at this building, it's beautiful, I mean, come on, that's just, uh, we were right, but this is something we can live with, or... Um, we can stay as an evangelistic witness. Yeah, well, that, yeah, we're gonna stay and and bear witness to the truth in, in, in this thing. So, one of the, I mean, of course, the reason that's wrong is, is, is as you've already pointed out, J, JD, uh, this is not just a question of sexual ethics. It is a question of sexual ethics, but sexual ethics always has to do with the gospel. It, 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 because if we, we made this argument so many times in the show, I'm not going to go back over it, but uh, beginning in Genesis 2, leading all the way up to Ephesians 5, ending in, in Revelation 21, sex is about the gospel. So you can't, so if you stay in that church and you're taking communion with these people who are professing- Well, because our bodies are about the gospel. Our bodies uh, are about the gospel. And so, God has spoken. So right, these right. are all, these are all, these are parts of the thread that once you pull or cut, then the, it begins to unravel. So, so if you stay in a church that Quote, teaches unquote, church. an anti-gospel, yes. you are you are joining yourself to that body. 
there's a spiritual thing that's going on there. You're, you're, if, you, if you're going to stay and just never take communion and just sit outside the sidewalk preaching at them, that's one thing, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Right? But if you're going to be sitting in those pews and going to the meetings and, and taking communion at the rail and doing all that, allying yourself and, 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 and joining yourself to that body, that is an act of adultery. It's an act of uh, spiritual infidelity to Christ. You, you, you've, you've joined yourself to those who are bringing gospel other than the one that, that the apostles brought. And those who do such things, I mean, there's pretty strong warnings. Galatians chapter one, uh, those who bring such gospels are anathema, they're cursed. And, you know, you join yourself to them, you know, apart from repentance, then, you know, what's, what's going to happen? So don't even take that choice. Don't put your kids and in, into a context where they're going to Sunday in, Sunday out, be exposed. That's right. Maybe not to maybe maybe not to abject heresy, but to but to a an ex, to a um, to an atmosphere where heresy is not considered heresy. Where it's hey, well, this is one way of looking at it. This is another way of looking at it. That itself communicates that the God that this is not about the gospel, and that you're That's this right. is not this is not an issue that that. Uh, really matters all that much and so you can go ahead and swim along with the stream of culture and that's what you're yeah and and what it does is it makes not simply the these particular issues matters of indifference which are very important you know your your what your body's for your your quote-unquote sexual identity and all these things but it makes the entire church seeming indifferent seemingly indifferent that's the problem the whole question of god becomes an a seeming indifference to you and so this is where you know, I, I mean, I've spent our entire ministry life sort of counseling people my parents' age who are um, triggered by me and Liza um, had, at every age we've been in church because they're like, well, you're the same age as my kids, you know, and you're, you know, they're never in church and they don't believe and they didn't, how can you help me? What can you do? And, you know, I, I dig into to their story and in almost every case, it was in no small way because when they their kids were were when their kids were little in particular, they communicated this type of indifference by either participation in a in a you know sort of moderately heretical church, which was basically almost all mainline churches, or they had sort of a, a nominal connection to their you know big box mega church, and they really liked the music, but there was no there was no active intent. I mean, I've met people who have spent more time and more money on pitching lessons and tennis lessons than they have ever done, even considered with um, Bible study or, or church formation. And then they wonder why, you know, their kid has a great forehand or, or a, um, you know, serve, but, but it doesn't come to church. And again, this is, this is not, this is not me 20 years ago talking. This is, you know, this is the, the, the surprised father of five uh, who has been, um, you know, backed into this over, over the my, course of my lifetime. And, and I am imploring and pleading with people now who have particularly have children who are around, you know, sort of malleable, impressionable age as to that this time goes fast and our decisions matter and our allegiances are seen and understood by them. You know, you might think that your child doesn't pick up on these things, but they know. And it's not just your child, it's your spouse. You know, it's your, your parents. I mean, these, you know, the witness of a courageous and believing parent to an unbelieving child is one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. You know, these parents, oh, my child won't listen to me. I was like, well, try. I mean, you'd be surprised, like how, you know, you might get into a little bit of a discussion. Maybe there'll be some slamming doors. Maybe it won't come to Thanksgiving, but we will listen to you. That's why they're so upset, you know, and, and down the line. And so I see this as an opportunity 
you know, it's been an opportunity as part of the ACNA, as we've said, you know, if the ACNA would just publish the reason we exist, why we're here and what we what it took to get here on the front of all of our bulletins, then a lot of the problems that we have would be cleared up because there would be people who run to that and there'd be people who read it and then run away. And that's perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, for those of us who have had the blessing and the privilege of maintaining historic properties, for those of us who it, it might possibly come to an end, which it looks like it may, I mean, according to the, you know, the papers and things down here, well, then this is just the time when we get to essentially have a, have the, the figurative publishing of what we stand for right at the front of whatever church we we're in, because there will be no mistaking when you go into a uh, show they don't have Shonies here. What do they have? <laughs> Denny's. I don't know. When you go into a school auditorium and you see people putting up and taking down chairs and uh, rolling in the, the communion table, um, there's no mistaking uh, at least the very much the commitment and, and importance of that activity for those people, um, obviously with some exceptions, but by and large. And that's a beautiful thing to behold. I mean, it's a, I've seen it in Grace Anglican in Louisville, like where our, so my first two children were baptized in, at St. Francis, which was a glorious day. And Nick did both of those because when Tucker was born, I was such an emotional wreck that I could like barely stand up. I was so, I was so moved. I've gotten better now. I think I, I shed a couple of tears in my cold heart when Davis and Garland. But uh, <laughs> Carrington, our third child, on I think it was like the second to last Sunday we were in Louisville, uh, was baptized at, uh, I'm thinking about it, at Grace Anglican. And that was as glorious and as beautiful as any baptism I've ever attended. In an and elementary it was, you know, school cafeteria. Piano, slightly out of tune, some really earnest singers. And it was, um, it was glorious. It, just as glorious as it was this past Sunday. And slightly just, just as bittersweet in a certain sense, but it's much sweeter than bitter. And so again, I don't look forward to this as much as in, in any way that anyone should. And I'm deeply... Uh, connected to uh, particularly the, the, those who have spent generations at this building and this have buried people in this graveyard that we have here and, and all of the heartbreak that comes with that. It's, it's as you said, Matt, it is, it's just that. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And so no one can minimize that. And so we will be doing a lot of mourning with those who mourn. But at the same time, I do know that um, what we have taken, what has transpired to get us here has, has been at the Lord's mercy and by his grace. And so I expect that to continue to go ahead of us as we, as we figure out the next steps. Like you alluded to earlier, Matt, there's, it's perfectly true that the early church worshiped in the crypt, but I don't think that we want to be here. You know, I've heard, Along the lines of the people who denigrate the idea of a beautiful church, it's not that real Christians have always worshipped in a crypt or that real Christians eschew beauty. What we're saying is that it's worth it if you have to worship in a crypt Amen. to do so. I mean, real Christians worship in spirit and in truth. And if there is no truth, there is no On spirit. a mountaintop or in a valley or anywhere. That's right. And so we hope it's in a beautiful... I mean, I like, you know, sterling silver processional crosses and beautiful vestments and air conditioning as much as anyone. So don't get me wrong. But, you know, as far as Ted, our rector here, keeps pointing out, you know, we support uh, Bishop Campicha, who's a Trinity grad, who's um, in northern Kenya. And um, we, it's something called the Tree Church Project, because um, through a wonderful set of providential encounters, 
somebody um, at our church many years ago found out that they were worshiping under a tree because the scorching heat was such that that was just the most pleasant place they could find to sit down and listen for any extended period of time. And so um, anywhere there was a great tree, that was essentially a, a church for them. And so we started what's called the Tree Church Project. And so for the past, I think it's past five, six, seven years, maybe, we raised $20,000 a year, which is how much a church building costs in Northern Kenya, you know? And so we have Christchurch Elabor, Christchurch Game, Christchurch Gorukasa, like these are wonderful. We pray for them all the time. So I have these names. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing them correctly. Bishop, if you're listening, please (laughs) WhatsApp WhatsApp me and let me know. But, um, But at any rate, you know, that puts it all in perspective. And again, it's, you know, I'll never forget, I went to the consecration service at uh, Christchurch Raleigh, which is where John Yates III is the rector, and my in-laws were part of the building of that congregation, and big John, the elder John Yates came and spoke, and it was during the time that they had been in their sojourning years, and he said, I'll never forget, I, I don't know if it's exactly the quote, but something like, you know, here I am about to preach a sermon about the importance of uh, space, while at the same time for the past three years, I've been encouraging my congregation that a building is, is just a building and not a church. <laughs> and it was like this, this disconnect, I mean, the seeming disconnect. But I think that's where, that's where we are, um, you know, we're going to land somewhere, there is a congregation, there's an ACNA congregation under a duly elected bishop in a province of the worldwide Anglican communion that is faithful and orthodox that exists here in Mount Pleasant. And if we uh, have the unlikely but hopeful possibility of staying in our building, then praise God. But if not, then we will simply be a congregation that meets um, elsewhere. And that goes for the other 14 parishes. Um, and that's going to be the, the witness that will reverberate down through the generations. Um, and I'm not ex- look excited about it necessarily. You know, we wouldn't welcome it. But uh, to say that we're not afraid of it is not an understatement, because this is what um, Christians have done, are doing, and, you know, will do in the future. And so this was the time that the Lord appointed us to live in the church to which he called us. And so here we go. <laughs> I, I will say that coming out of this, the churches that remain, whether they're in their property or not, uh, are going to be a lot stronger because the people who God, God uses these things to, 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 to prune congregations, the people who are not, who are not committed wholesale to the gospel and to Jesus Christ aren't going to stick with you if you're, if you're going from location to location. And so by the time you finally settle, finally, by the time things finally settle out, and I'm speaking in general terms here, I'm not, because every case can be different, but by the time you finally settle out, you're going to have, these churches may, are going to be smaller maybe, but, but they're going to have a, a good solid core. Lean and mean. Yeah. A That's good right. shepherd, a good shepherd. I have never had to have the conversation about why scripture is important with people. I mean, that just hasn't had to, And clearly I mean, not why your sermons are so long. Why, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, that battle was won too, actually. Say, I'm not, I well, that not. might be worth it all. Like no one, like, the, no one's going to be looking at their watch when I'm going no like, one, but right yeah, past 20 minutes. You think it was like, I had like started taking my clothes off the way people react. They're like, wait, what? Get but comfortable some of the chairs in that school. Cafeteria. What is happening? What? Some 20 the, minutes? <laughs> some of the basic arguments though that we're used to i was used to making to episcopalians like to consider to, to persuade them you know that the bible is, is true and important and that and it, the gospel isn't let's go out and do good things um, in the city 
and in the community and hey we'll give a big fat check to some uh to some charity and we're doing and we're just being the typical good christians that we are i mean all those all of that those those kinds of arguments i thought i was gonna be having my whole ministry to try and just persuade kind of kind of laid back wealthy episcopalians to care about spiritual things no more (laughs) (laughs) that was gone after this because those people who really would just want to lay back and care about their money or whatever they went to they stayed with the episcopal church but the people who came with us are the people who cared about the gospel i think it's the same thing the same things can happen for you guys well i certainly trust that and i look um you know i think i think it's funny. I was just reflecting on the fact that I'm closer to 60 than I am to, you know, 20 easily. I mean, that's not a joke, but it's just kind of a sobering assessment. I was like, Oh, you know, in 15 years when I'm 60, you know, it was like, and you think about the relatively short time, you know, that we're given uh, and what we've been called to do. And I think, you know, explaining this to our children who will be disappointed, obviously, but, but witnessing to them through this and uh, walking through this with them and by the extension, family and friends and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Like I, I think um, what we've done already is, is, is beautiful with respect to the ACNA, which we've talked about or almost a hundred episodes now. uh, And we're defending that where we can, because the people that have sacrificed and gone ahead of us, they, they set up a beautiful thing, albeit, um, you know, difficult to hold. Nevertheless, what we've been asked to do is to witness um, in this way at this time. And, you know, I'm, um, yeah, like I said before, I think, I think it's, it's um, all the things you said, Matt, are things that we've experienced in, in many ways. And I could see how this experience will, will further deepen uh, those uh, commitments and those convictions. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is what we have to look forward to. But I'm grateful for your uh, courage and y'all's uh, encouragement in the midst of this, um, having walked through it. Y'all, both of y'all, you know, in various different ways have modeled to not just me, but to many people in church planning situations or in situations where they had to leave their building, that, um, that there are things easily worth giving up. Um, and as Jesus said, you know, we forfeit the whole world and gain your soul. I mean, um, that's your living proof of that and i'm grateful for that well i think i speak for everybody listening when i say that we'll be praying for you and for ted and for christ church and for all of the other churches that are looking at an uncertain future you are in our prayers but we know that our lord is a redeemer who actually and literally brings something out of nothing and life out of death and i have no doubt that he will do the same thing here amen well, that's going to be all the time that we have this week. Um, if you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch. You can also um, call the lawn care company in JD's neighborhood who managed to schedule his <laughs> lawn care for the exact same time frame of this episode. We'll we'll see how, how we can edit around that, perhaps. Um, we are grateful for you. I think our lawn care company, I think we chose it because it's called All Blessings Come From God Lawn Care, which is um, <laughs> it's just so you know, if you want my business, name it All Blessings From God. God, long care. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, we do appreciate you listening. This was our 99th episode, uh, 100 episodes next week. I don't know what, if anything special we'll do, but we'll be back. Um, I hope you'll communicate with us. You can send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com. You can review the podcast on iTunes or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon and Lord willing, we will be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh